Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of worship, bringing our voices, bringing our lives into the presence of a holy God standing on holy ground. We thank you for the offering that Christ made once and for all, so that once and for all, the sacrifice was made so that we might have abundant and eternal life. Today we give thanks to you. And we remember what Christ has done. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. On this weekend of sacrifices, we remember the sacrifices made by those who gave their lives uh, for their country. Perhaps it was articulated best by Abraham Lincoln after 50,000 casualties at Gettysburg. He wrote down some words on a piece of paper, and they were humbly written. This is what he said, in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. In a way, he was right. We can't do more to consecrate a place like Gettysburg than those who have given their lives already have. And in a way, in his humility, he was wrong because he said the world would not remember, and yet every school child knows four score and seven years ago the beginning words of his address that day. We remember what Lincoln said there, but even more, we remember, as he said, what the soldiers did there, and their sacrifices inspire us and inquire of us, what sacrifices have we made? Even in this week, perhaps for your family, you sacrificed something, or perhaps for our country in our midst, worship those who... um, who paid a high price to serve their country, my father in that group. And then for God, what have we sacrificed for him? The prophet Malachi wrote to the people of his day, if you're going to make a sacrifice or an offering to God, let it be only the best. Would you open your Bibles with me to Malachi chapter 1, verse 6? We started last week in context of another passage, we talked about how God told the people of Israel that He loved them. And they said, how have you loved us? And you'll notice as we study the book of Malachi that the people of that day tended to talk back to God, which as my mother taught me is not a good thing to do. Let's stand together, hear the word of the Lord, Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I'm a father, where's the honor due me? If I'm a master, where's the respect 
do me, says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now implore God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands. Will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple door so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled and of its food, it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. You may be seated. God loved his people. He loved Israel. He says in verses 1 to 5, I chose Israel. And why did he choose Israel? So that they would feel special? So that they would be chosen? No, in a larger sense, he chose them to be the missionary nation. The nation that so loved God that the nations around them would take notice and say, by contrast to our idols made of stone and metal, Their God is a living God who cannot be replicated in any image that humankind can make. And they might see how much the the people of God loved their God and say, we need to love that God also. So when Ezra and Nehemiah brought the people back and the worship in the temple was reestablished under Ezra's leadership and the great choir sang and the people loved the Lord and there was great enthusiasm for God. But they are not unlike us in that over a period of time their enthusiasm waned. Their fondness for God faded. And those who at one time would look at their flock and say, what is the very best sheep in the flock so that I can offer my best, the largest, the most healthy lamb to the Lord to show him the depth of my devotion to him over a period of time, it became rather looking for the least that they could offer. What could they get away with? Because worship had become more of a burden and a chore to them than a joy. So they offered God the leftovers of their lives. And Malachi said, that will not do. We must offer God the very best in our offering of worship to God. We shall see in the weeks to come in our relationships with each other, in the offerings we make, in relationships between fathers and children. We will see on Father's Day. In every way, God asks us to give Him only the best of our lives because 
our worship has international implications. This may not be more true in any city in the world than our city today. The world has come to Houston and we get the chance to love God publicly and fervently and say to the world around us, Jesus Christ is the Savior of all humankind. But if you and I come to worship only reluctantly, if we come saying, let's get this over with, (laughs) when will this be finished? We may be saying to those who are surely watching, there's really not much to this God. He doesn't have much to offer. He doesn't even inspire the highest devotion of his own people. So today, as we examine our hearts before we come to the Lord's table, as Paul told us we must, let a person examine herself before she comes, before he comes to the table. I invite us to do that in the light of Malachi's teachings on worship. Because as another great religious leader of long ago said, the world cannot long stand a worship that does not involve sacrifice. So what sacrifice shall we bring? If you and I love God less than first or best in our lives, we'll be content to offer him the leftovers of our lives. But I just want us to be aware that the way we worship reflects not only on the service or the church but on God himself. You see it in verse 7 when God says, you've defiled my table, and they say, how have we defiled you? They know, don't they, that what they do on the altar not only is something they do for God, but something they do to God. You hear it when he says to them in verse 8, try offering your leftovers to your governor, the governor of Persia who is there among you leading you. Would he accept less than your very best? And what Malachi shows them is that they fear the governor more than they fear God. And that's a dangerous way to live our lives. And he says, if you make that offering Will your governor accept you? Because worship is about us and God. It's about loving him first and best. And so never being content to give him the leftovers. You know Paul Harvey. Years ago, he uh, told about a lady who called the Butterball Hotline. At Thanksgiving time, she found a turkey in her freezer and called the Butterball Hotline with a question. She said, I found this turkey in my freezer and it has been here for 23 years. Is it safe to eat? And the person, the bewildered person on the other end of the line said, Uh, I don't know. If it's been below freezing for 23 years, it probably won't harm you. But we at Butterball would not recommend that you eat that turkey because the, the flavor has surely been diminished. And the lady said, it was one of those recorded calls, you know, for, uh, for customer uh, satisfaction. Uh, she said, that's what I thought. I'll just give it to the church. And I laughed when I read that, and then I wondered, do I ever give God less than my very best? Could he ever look at my life and say, when you were through with everything else, then you made a little bit of time for me. Shouldn't we love him first? Shouldn't we love him best? In fact, if we worship only grudgingly, we are revealing 
a problem in the relationship we have with God that we don't love him best and first. And he says, in that case, verse 10, it would be better to close the doors. This is a dangerous thing for a preacher to say. But he says, it would be better to close the doors so that you would not light, listen to this word, useless fires on my altar. Now listen, all around them were pagan nations who were lighting their fires. And the Israelites knew that those fires were useless fires because their gods weren't even gods. But he said, if you come here without loving me first and best, then your fires are also useless. And I read about a man named James Kelly who worships at a church in Washington, D.C., who said recently, I don't even believe in God. Many of my congregation don't believe in God, but we love the stained glass. We love the sound of the organ. We love the incense and the vestments, the pageantry and the drama. It's all so powerful. We can't give that up just because we don't believe in God. To which I would say, what's the point? If it's only about about going through the motions or duty, well, that doesn't work in our in our families, does it? I mean, what if you said to your family one night, well, I was going to do something else, but since the people were not available, I guess I'm stuck with you. How would that work? And why would we think, he says, if the governor won't accept the offering, if our families won't accept that offering, why would our God, verse 9, accept an offering like that from us, less than our very best? But the good news is, if we love God first and best, we will give him Only the best of our lives. And how do we know whether we're giving God our very best? Well, here it is. When we love God first and best, we offer Him worship that is commensurate with His identity. In verse 6, He says, If I'm a father, don't fathers get honor? Where is my honor? I'll talk with you about that on Father's Day. If I'm a master, He says... Shouldn't I get respect? Verse 14, he says, I'm a great king and my name is to be feared among the nations. But my name will never be feared among the nations if the people of Israel don't fear my name. And we might say, Jesus Christ will never be received by the nations if the people who call themselves followers of Christ take him lightly and do not give him, here's the word, the honor, the kavod in Hebrew, the weight Worship is giving God his worth, as William Temple defined it in his classic definition. Worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. Worship is the quickening of our conscience by his holiness. The nourishment of our minds with his truth. The purifying of our imaginations by his beauty. The opening of our hearts to his love. The surrender of our will to his purpose. All wrapped up, he wrote, in adoration, which is our most selfless emotion and the only antidote for the self-centeredness, which is the origin of all of our sin. When we worship, we can't focus on ourselves. We have to focus on God. As the writer of Hebrews said, fix your eyes on Jesus. That is worship. When we focus on him more than any other thing, our worship must be commensurate with his identity. Our worship must be, verse 14 says, commensurate with our own ability. He says, it's not that you only have one sheep in your flock and it happens to be blind or diseased or crippled. He says, you have plenty, but you're giving me the worst. And my challenge to us today is that we would give to God only 
our very best. I read about a man who went to, to China and he stopped through Hong Kong and he met a family there, a couple both in their 60s. The man was sort of uh, crouched over as he came to the door, bent by years of hard labor. And he and his wife uh, invited this man into their home. He was going in. They were going to send Bibles with him into China. This was some 30 years ago. And he was determined that he was not going to take Bibles into China because that was dangerous business at that time. But he listened to their story and he noticed the way they loved each other and cared for each other and his interpreter finally said they want you to know the reason they're so attentive to each other is that they are newlyweds and Eric Fellerman who tells this story says he was shocked by that and he he said well tell me tell me your story and they said well some 40 years ago when the Nanking seminary was uh, attacked and he was a student there and it was the the night of their rehearsal dinner that he was captured and taken into captivity for being a follower of Christ. And every year they would bring his bride-to-be to the prison so that he could just lay eyes on her and they would say, we will let you go home and marry your bride if you will just deny the name of Jesus Christ. And every year he said no. And after all of those years of punishment, they released him. He and his bride moved to Hong Kong And Eric said, why wouldn't you just say what they wanted you to say? And he said, after all that Jesus has done for me, how could I deny him? The words of Lincoln become more real to us as we come to this table today. We cannot consecrate. We cannot dedicate. We cannot hallow this ground more than the blood of Jesus Christ that has already been spilt. And the world may soon forget the words that I have spoken to you today. But we will never forget what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And his sacrifice calls us, Romans chapter 12 verse 1, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God in view of his mercy we live in full view of his mercy let us offer our lives as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God which is our spiritual act of worship when we come to the God who gave us his very best we can offer him only the best Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the price that Christ paid. Help us, I pray, to worship you in this time of receiving bread and a cup that remind us of what Christ did for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.